It's Monday, February 14th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, it's a Valentine's Day edition, but there's no love out there for uh, for the uh, the Players Association or the, the owners right now. Uh, they met over the weekend on Saturday, and there was another proposal from the owners. Uh, again, from all reports, the the offers and 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 every one of the, the the core issues that you know things went up. They offered offers increased, uh, but not to the level that sort of uh, sparked any interest from the players. Yeah, Joe, these two sides just keep inching clo- toward each other, but it doesn't seem like anybody's willing to take a you know a big leap. You know, it, it just uh, it's it's so aggravating. I mean. And, and I, I guess they're probably, it's probably like playing a, a game of chicken. You're waiting for the other guy to blink, you know, and, and uh, you know, like in, in Saturday's proposal lasted an hour. Uh, the owners made a 130 page proposal. Uh, and this is, this is, for instance, this is how, how the thing is going. Uh, the owners agreed to increase the bonus pool for players that aren't eligible for arbitration. To, to 15 million and that and that's like a five million dollar increase and you know so that that matches that that uh the players reduced their their ask by five million to a hundred million so that's that's where we're going here we're going in in like five million dollar increments here you know and while while the gap is still you know bigger than the grand canyon so that that's the game these guys are well, so they only need 40 more meetings to, to meet somewhere in the middle, right? <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, they'll, they'll be playing at the all-star break at this pace. I mean, well, but that's the other question is now with this proposal, you know, still being a, a, a it's, it, it's a proposal. It's not like it was an insult and they've, they've said they're not going to, you know, you know, work together uh, on things. It, it's with things being the way they are, do we, know for sure if we're we're definitely going to miss the start of spring training now yeah i think well today's the 14th right joe mm-hmm. so i mean spring training pitchers and catchers would have reported either tomorrow or, or or uh or wednesday you know usually the 15th or 16th of february so definitely spring training is delayed it's going to take a week even when they settle this thing i would imagine to ramp things up you know get guys to camp you know, they have to ratify the deals. The players have to ratify. The owners have to ratify. That takes t- time. So, you know, right now, you know, I think if they could get something done by the end of February, uh, you know, February 28th, somewhere around in there, uh, they could save the regular season from starting on time. But you still put, uh, you know, you really put a crunch on spring training. And, and, you, and you risk the 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 human element you risk the uh the the injuries that by by not having the team uh and the players prepare long enough uh for for these things uh it's funny you mentioned you know saving the the start of the regular season you know the guardians put their uh their ticket packages and their opening day ticket uh sales uh on sale uh today at, at 10 a.m uh i haven't gotten a report as to usually you know, within an hour or so of that happening, we hear, uh, you know, hey, opening day is already sold out uh, because that's the first one to go. But uh, we haven't gotten an update like that from the team. You know, maybe maybe they will sell out. But I, I can't imagine folks 
you know, rushing, you know, too fast to, to get there, uh, to buy their opening day tickets. If they don't know for certain that opening day is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, God, remember the times in the nineties, Joe, where, you know, they would put, they would put the tickets on sale and, and it would be sold out for the season, right. For the season in a half hour, you know, like a couple of times they got so many calls, they blew out the phone system or the computer system that they couldn't handle all the intake. And now, you know, it's 16 degrees outside. There's three feet of snow and nobody knows when, when there's going to, when opening day is actually going to take place. So how would you like to be working the phones for the Indians today? You're probably, you know, going to sleep. Well, a, a lot of it, I think is handled through the online portal now. So I, I don't think, uh, you know, they've, they've got the, uh, the people yeah, picking yeah, up right. and, and answering that, but you're right. You know, there's a lot of questions, I guess. And a lot of the same questions, uh, I guess, would be being asked over and over again uh, by, by the fans. And you, you got to feel for them. You're right. Looking out the window and seeing all the snow and realizing how far apart the two sides are in negotiations. And it, it's just, it's a really weird time to be a baseball fan in Cleveland right now. It's just sort of, uh, you know, everything is up in the air. I think, you know, once we get going and the weather gets warmer and, you know, we actually see games being played on the field, uh, I think it'll feel a little more normal. But right now, everything just feels weird. It's, yeah, it's one, one thing ca caught my eye in the owner's proposal over the weekend. Uh, it would limit the number of times a player could be sent up and down to five five times during a season, you know, you know, we've seen guys, you know, some poor guys are up and down eight, 10, 12 times, you know, when, while they have options, they all have three, you know, when you got three options, an option lasts a year. And in, in that span of that one year, you know, you can be sent down, up and down, like between the minors and the big leagues, as many times as the big league club wants to put you, but a, a limit to five, I think that's kind of, that's an interesting Interesting little thing, uh, interesting little uh, uh, olive branch by the owners because I think if you're a player, you got to hate that, don't you? Right. I mean, you never right. get and, settled. And, and there are rules in there about how how long you have to stay back down. If you get sent down, you have to stay down for a certain number of days before you can be called back up, unless there's an injury exemption for that um, that rule. But but yeah, that's again, you're, you're talking. There are there are guys who who we've seen go back and forth who who was the the pitcher that they had from uh tampa bay the one year who just went back armstrong uh armstrong, armstrong, yeah yeah armstrong was up and down like i don't know 10 12 times yeah that's that's crazy uh so maybe there's little things like that but you need like you need like a dozen more of those little little olive branches to to sort of start building a bridge here and, and we haven't seen that uh, thus far. Yeah, you know, even, uh, you know, the, uh, the luxury tax, you know, the, the owners have, have uh, agreed to uh, up it to 214 million in 2022 and 2023, you know, 216 in 2024, and, uh, you know, 2000 and 2022, 2, 2 million, 200 million, 222 million for the last two years of the deal, but the, but the players want to start the first year at 248 million. So that's, that's what we're dealing with. You know, they're, they're kind of on the same page, but they're not in the same neighborhood. And, and I can't, I don't understand why the players are going so hard for this, this luxury tax increase. 
I mean, I get it. They, they want the top level guys to be able to make, you know, the, the big, huge contracts and the most money, but this really doesn't help. You know, the majority of the guys in your players association, the, the majority of those guys aren't going to be making those big salaries. This is only going to help out the top, you know, 10% of players who make those, those huge contracts. And it, it that really, you know, I, I question why the union is so united and together on this, on this issue. If only a, a small portion of their membership is going to benefit from this. Yeah. I think they feel like, you know, you know, big salaries, you know, kind of a rising tide floats all boats kind of thing, you know, and uh, you know, but if, Max if Scherzer the, isn't giving any of that money to the, <laughs> you know, rookie who's, who's on, you know, the, the 25th man on the roster, 26th man on the roster. So I, I don't get that. And I think this, if with the higher, you know, with if, when the luxury tax is higher, you know, like if, if it is at 248, you know, to start this season, that encourages teams to spend more to, to increase their payroll and they, they won't be penalized by, by a tax. You know, I think what last year was 210 million. You know, I think what only maybe the Dodgers, uh, you know, exceeded that and, and had to pay penalties. Right. Well, you're not going to see that here in Cleveland, at least not for a couple more years uh, until. Uh, I don't think we're know. ever going to see that in Cleveland, Joe. <laughs> not 210 million. No. Um, hey, just wanted to mention, uh, in addition to those tickets going on sale uh, for the opening day and for the season in the team shop today, road jerseys featuring the new Guardians script and uh, and uh, the, the blue and the gray road jerseys are available in the team shop uh, beginning today. Uh, so if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, by all means, uh, the other thing to mention on, um, is a uh, guardian subtext here on cleveland.com. You can subscribe, uh, $3.99 a month and Hoinsey and I will continue to have conversations with you guys and, and get your ideas and your thoughts on stories and, uh, the developments here in these labor negotiations and getting ready for the season and all of our preview stuff for the 2022 season uh, goes there first. Uh, it's two, it's three ninety nine a month. Go to cleveland.com slash uh, subtext to sign up or send a text to two, uh, 216-298-4346 uh, for your chance to join Guardian Subtext. And Hoinsey, we will get into our Cleveland baseball top 25 most memorable here uh, in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, did you watch the Super Bowl last night? Yeah, I did watch the Super Bowl. What did you think of the halftime show? <laughs> Joe? Is that when you went and got a sandwich? Or... Snoop, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Doggy Dog. That's the only guy I knew. But it was pretty cool. I, I, I got to admit. I, 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 you know, I didn't know what they were saying. I didn't know any words. But I, I, I liked it. I, 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 it was kind of cool. It, the, the, whole, the, the production as a whole was, was pretty outstanding. Uh, I know... In the my neighbor's house, where we all got together and and watched, that was what everybody was sort of waiting for. the The whole build up for the the first half could have been here or there or whatever. Uh, everybody wanted to see the 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 halftime show, and uh, I was I think Eminem got shortchanged a little bit. I think he he only really got to perform one song. Uh, I think they could have done a little bit more collaboration. Maybe maybe him and Dr. Dre could have sang uh, a song together, but. 
in in general, I think it delivered what we had anticipated it would. Uh, just the 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 reaction that everybody had that was that was sort of the the fun part too was seeing everybody's reaction on Twitter uh, to what was going on at the Super Bowl and uh, we did see uh, you know did you see the tweet from uh, Trevor Bauer uh, earlier in the day no he he said he he covered all of his bases you know Trevor Bauer played in Cincinnati he played in he plays in L A and he played in Cleveland. So he, he tweeted something to the effect of, you know, go Bengals, go Rams. And while we're at it, go Browns. You know, he, he's, he covered everybody uh, in, in one tweet. So uh, he's the, the Trevor Bauer PR machine is, uh, is, is back in uh, full swing now. Did, did Eminem did, or uh, did he take a knee with, with, uh, was that for uh, Kaepernick? Uh, Kaepernick. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was, he just sort of, did at the end of his performance, he, he he dropped to one knee and and covered his head. I that might have been a political statement, uh, I, I guess. But people were caught up in other aspects of it. I mean, for some reason, they had Fifty Cent uh, hanging upside down yeah, like a yeah. bat on the inside of the thing. That that was that was kind of weird. Uh, yeah. There there were other things that were, that were kind of interesting, but you know. Uh, in general, I think uh, I think they pulled it off. Yeah, I like the set too. You know, yeah. that, that was that had to be a huge undertaking to build that thing. Well, and you had to you have to wonder, uh, you know, did the people who uh, bought tickets on uh, the opposite side of the stadium did they pay more or less because they didn't get to see yeah. half of the performance? <laughs> I, you had to look on the video board to see it. You got to see the backside of a uh, basically the backside of a trailer uh, if. If you were on the other side of the field, uh, couldn't they have figured out a way to like make like a giant lazy Susan and and rotate the thing? I, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, very interesting thoughts on the Super Bowl, uh, and and the Bengals did not win, which I guess is. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I I like how they did. They they hardly called a penalty the whole game. Then when the Rams get down there in in, in the red zone, they call like ten penalties on ten different plays. Well, if you think back to the end of the regular season and uh, the Bengals driving against the, the the Chiefs in that game, they did the same thing. You know, they gave the they gave the Bengals ten shots at the end zone in that game to make sure that they won that game. So, you know, every call, every flag that they threw was legit. Though, I mean, if you think that Zach Wilson didn't didn't grab the Cooper Cup's jersey on yeah. that play. I mean, the, the evidence is right there. So uh, I thought they and, were letting those plays go earlier in the game. It, it seemed like, well, on the, was the, the touchdown to, to Boyd in the, yeah, in, yeah. at the beginning of the half, he, he, he pulled Jalen Ramsey's helmet around his head. I mean, I okay. So that's how we're playing it, I guess. Uh, all right. Moving on. Speaking of playing other sports and, and being a <laughs> multi-sport athlete, that should be the uh, that should be the number one tip uh, for our blind reveal to the uh, the Hoinsey's top twenty five most memorable uh, Cleveland baseball players uh, for today. Uh, this guy was among the most popular Indians player players ever. He was a catalyst at the top of the lineups in the nineties. Uh, Ten seasons, he finished his career the all time club leader in steals third all-time in runs scored, ninth in hits, 11th in walks. He led the AL in steals five times. He won four gold gloves. 
uh, rookie record in 92 with 66 steals and led the league in hits in 94 with 160. Uh, he was as dynamic and exciting a player as I think any of us have ever seen. Uh, Hoinsey, who are we talking about? Got to be K-Love, uh, K Kenny Lofton. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I, Cleveland's love affair with this guy began in the, the early 90s when you saw him just get on base every time and, and he could just take bases at will. And then in the outfield, he was able to run down every ball that was hit. You, you, you'd see that hat fly off of his head and you knew the ball was going to be in his glove. Yeah, he was just a dynamic player, Joe, just and so much fun to watch. I mean, you know, I, I remember, you know, in, in Tucson, the, the year after the spring after they signed him at the winter meetings in Florida. And, uh, you know, I'm standing on, the, on one of the backfields next to Mike Hargrove and we're watching him, you know, Kenny take BP and, uh, and, he, and he hits like a soft ground ball to the shortstop, you know, and it looks like a routine out. And, uh, and, and uh, Hargrove said, uh, you know, now they tell me that that, that he's going to be able to beat that ball out for a base hit. And, and you know, you, that's in spring training and you're sitting there, you know, you've seen a thousand guys hit ground balls just like that and get thrown out. But he was the guy that, that beat it out. He was right. The scouting report was right. And just what a great, great trade by John Hart and, uh, just a dime. He was like the cherry on top of that, that those great teams. He, you know, he set that whole, that whole lineup up. Yeah. It, it was a great move by John Hart to sort of steal him from uh, Houston for, for Ed Tobinsey, I, I believe was the easy was the Ed, easy Ed Tobinsey. Yeah. Who it Tobinsey, what eventually came back to the Indians at, at yeah. one point, but uh, you know, Lofton was the one who made the, made the impression. Again, he's another one of those guys who got uh, another one of those those Indians players that got ripped off, I, I believe, for Rookie of the Year. I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, was it Pat Listash? Pat Listash from the Milwaukee Brewers. From the Brewers, won Rookie of the Year that year, and and I mean, he sets the rookie record of 66 steals. He's he's you could tell in 1992 that or 93, right? Uh, 92, 93, he was, he was going to be that sort of spark for this team. Once they figured out who else to get in that lineup, it was, it, from there, it, you put um, Omar behind him who could handle the bat, you know, and, and, and get bunts down. And, and it just, you were talking about three, four pitches into the game and there's a guy on third base. Yeah. I mean, what, I, it was so cool. What, Lofton was seven. Carlos was eight. Uh, I mean, uh, Carlos was Omar nine was, and what, Bell was eight. Yeah. Bell was eight. And uh, just like, what was it? Lofton, Vizquel, Bayerga, Bell, the top four guys in that lineup. Jeez. Oh man. That was, that was just fun to watch. And come uh, on, name them, name them all. Hoinsie. You got Lofton, Vizquel, <laughs> Bayerga, Bell, uh, Murray, Sorrento, Tommy, uh, Ramirez, and Alomar. Alomar, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, yeah, that, that. that's that was that was the lineup, man. That's ninety-five. Oh uh, my gosh! <laughs> come on, man. But it, really, you gotta. It, the real stumper is go back to the ninety-four opening day uh, lineup because that's the one that confuses people. 
because guys like Jim Tomey weren't in the 94 opening day lineup because of uh, um, Randy Johnson being on the mound. Oh, yeah, right. Lofton Lofton was the only lefty in that lineup. Yeah. And then, you know, Randy Johnson loved to throw at Lofton's legs. And then in 95, when when Lofton got him in the postseason on the wild pitch, he scored Mm -hmm. from second base still. You know, one of the most exciting plays in Indians history, I think. And I, uh, the, and the only thing that I that I think tops that, Joe, is is when he stole the home run from uh, B.J. Surhoff. Do you remember right. that? And, right. Uh, those, those are the two. Those are the two plays. The ones you just mentioned are the two plays that come to mind first when you say Kenny Lofton is uh, the catch, which is you know climbing the wall in center field against. Uh, to, to rob B.J. Surhoff and then uh, scoring from second base on a wild pitch at the Kingdome uh, in the 95 AL Championship Series. Yeah, and and he just, you know, that was the, the B.J. Surhoff play was on uh, May 31st, 2013. And I, I remember talking to him after the game and uh, Kenny said it was like somebody gave him an extra boost on, on the way up. And if you watch that play, it's still the best catch I've ever seen by by any outfielder. I think I, I mean just a great catch. He said like, it was almost like God pushed him up a, a few extra feet because he was like three feet over the over the top of that fence, the well, center field and, fence, and the, what the center field fence is what ten feet? I, I don't know if it's yeah. If you if you watch his one foot actually slips on the pad as he's going up as he makes contact with the wall, so. Uh, and and the ball actually was is is beyond the wall and on on its downward flight as he's he's going to grab it. I think the only the only catch in my mind that ever really rivaled that one uh, that I've seen made at uh, the ballpark at Progressive Field was Sandy Alomar catching uh, that foul ball behind home plate. Oh yeah, over the, where he got stuck on the fence. That that was, Ron, Ronnie Coons had a great picture of him hanging yeah. upside down on the chicken wire behind the fence. Yeah, that was that was about as good a catch as I've ever seen because of the timing of it. But yeah, that was a great Lofton's catch. And you know, he he had a a, a real good arm. He uh, you know it, his speed made up for a lot of you know coverage in the in the outfield. You could put a, a guy like a, a Manny Ramirez next to him in in uh, in in right field and not worry because all all the the right plays would be made. Yeah, uh, he he grew, he grew up in East East Chicago, Indiana, and uh, his grandmother raised him. And his grandmother was was a big Chicago Cubs fan, and he, they'd be listening to the game, and uh, and she would make him get up and sing, "Take me up to the take me out to the ball game with Harry Carey in, in the seventh inning when when Kenny was growing up. Well, that's so, uh, and, well, he played for I think he played for every team. After he left yeah. Cleveland, he played for every team but the Cubs, huh? Yeah, he played He played for 11 different teams. Here are the teams. Houston, Cleveland, Atlanta, the White Sox, the Giants, Pittsburgh, the Cubs, the Yankees, the Phillies, Dodgers, and Texas. Then he came back to Cleveland and ended his career, I think, what, in 2008, maybe? It was, well, uh, no, he was, he was sure. 2016, wasn't he on the? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, right. not, not 2016, uh, 2013. Yeah, 23rd, the last time they were in the postseason, I think, when they played Boston in the postseason. But this guy, 622 steals. I think he's 15th overall. 
And in, in the postseason, he's the postseason career leader in steals with 34, played a 95 postseason games. Wow. I mean, the guy, everywhere he went, his team won. You know, he kind of, you know, I guess he was a hired gun after he left Cleveland, you know, the first time. And, uh, you know, he just kind of, but where, wherever he went, they, they, they won. He played in two World Series, one with the Indians, one with the Giants. And uh, just a, he's an interesting guy, too, Joe. I mean, I, I used to, uh, we would get into, we had some big-time arguments, really, really. Really? <laughs> like, like serious arguments. And he, uh, but then we, we kind of buried the hatchet. And, uh, and uh, I consider, he's a friend. You know, he's a good guy. He's, and, you know, I would think, uh, if the guardians were smart, I think they would, they would hire this guy as some kind of um, not, not, a, not necessarily a coach, but maybe if they are, you know, about, uh, you know, advancing their social, their social, being a social institution, you know, I think he would, he would help that in, in, in some way. I think that would be a good move for them. Yeah. Some sort of ambassador role or official role with the club would, would definitely work too. Uh, you know, he, he was a, a college basketball player. He actually played in the in the Final Four with with Arizona, and he played baseball as well. But I mean, that's maybe that's where he got the lift on that uh, that catch in, in center field against BJ Serhoff. Is you know his athleticism is is really what stands out. Uh, but like you said, the the longevity and playing with the number of different teams that's why it's so confusing to all of us. Uh, and not really confusing because we know the circumstances is why, but, you know, in his first year of eligibility on the Hall of Fame ballot, he, he didn't receive 5% of the vote and fell off the ballot and now has to sort of wait. And this year is when uh, that, that first chance at that today's era committee, uh, you know, comes up. His, it'll be a real challenge to see if, if he gets on the ballot even for that committee uh, and and gets another chance at maybe redemption with the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean this. I, I, that's exactly right, Joe. I thought you know he was really short served by only spending you know one year on the ballot. And we've talked about this before. He kind of got you know kind of got overrun by the steroid guys with uh, you know Bonds and Clemens and Sosa. You know all came on on the on the ballot that same year. And I think he got overlooked. But every time you read about guys that have been overlooked, you know, guys that have been snubbed by the Hall of Fame or the BBWA, you know, Kenny's name always comes up in that. So, so hopefully, you know, he gets a second chance on this ballot. It's a 10-man ballot. You know, we'll find out in December. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll get some, some more consideration. This is a guy with a 68.4 war, Joe, in, in his career. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's a big number, you know, and yeah, you know, the analytics like this guy. Yeah. And that's exactly it is the analytics do like this guy. And that's amazing to me why he fell off the, the ballot is at least give him a chance to be in a conversation, you know, for more than the, the one year, at least, at least give him a chance for, for some of these writers to go back and, and look and say, Oh, well, Kenny Lofton's, you know, uh, eligible or he's on the ballot. Let's, let's do a deep dive on his stats and, and, you know, guys like Scott Rowland have been getting this kind of uh, treatment over the last couple of years, and it's increased their chances because, you know, people have a, an opportunity to take a longer look at some of these guys. One year was not enough time for them to, to do that. That's the real crime to me is that 
he only got the one year on the ballot and no one really talked about him because of all the other, you know, chuckleheads who were on the ballot at the same time. At the very least, he's, you know, in the hall of very good, I guess he, he has a place, but there's no hall of very good, but he was an elite player. You know, there's no doubt about it. He, he was an elite caliber player on, on a great team. There was no doubt. I mean, about you talk that. about that stretch in the, in the nineties there, you know, probably 95, 96, 97, 98, where he was the, the prototypical leadoff man. He's what you wanted in a, a guy batting at the top of your lineup. Gets on base, scores runs, steals bases, uh, affects the game in more ways than one. Yeah, and he's always had kind of a chip on his shoulder. You know, he, he thought so much attention, especially in the era he played, uh, you know, was, was went to the guys that hit home runs and, and the guys that, that, that stole the bases were, were kind of, uh, you know, forgotten. And, uh, and I remember arguing with him. He was telling me, I'm going to stop stealing bases. I'm going to, you know, nobody, nobody cares if I steal bases, I'm just going to try to hit home runs, you know? So we go back and forth like that. He was all, he was kind of always fighting that internal battle with himself, but Geez, when you look at the body his, his, of his work, Joe, that's he was just you know I don't I don't know if we'll ever see another leadoff hitter like that in Cleveland. I, I just and, don't know. And and he was another one of those larger than life personalities, sort of in the in the clubhouse in that '95 you know era uh, for the for Cleveland. Uh, you know, it, he you'd be the inspiration why why they played. Uh, you know, this is how we do it in the the clubhouse on the on the stereo every time they won a game uh you know that came from kenny right that that's yeah he, he, yeah he, and they didn't they didn't ever fight over the uh the music in the clubhouse did they <laughs> no yeah he, he had it going he was uh, <laughs> the only guy that could uh, change change the vibe in the in the clubhouse was eddie murray when he, he would put it, he would put some, he would put something on and nobody would complain, but he was like old school, you know, he was like, so he'd come in and put on the OJs or something like that. Right? On, on, yeah. on the, uh... <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up uh, today's edition of the Cleveland baseball talk podcast. Uh, Hoinsie, we will be back tomorrow, hopefully with more news on, on progress on the negotiations and, uh, if not, we'll uh, we'll dive into another one of our uh, most memorable Cleveland baseball players of the last 38 years. We'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.